The 20th century American painter Andrew Wyeth captured a very human sentiment when he lamented, if one could only catch that true color of nature, the very thought of it drives me mad. It's a madness that goes back tens of thousands of years. The earliest rock paintings we know of in Spain and France are at least 60,000 years old. In Australia, rock art dates back 40,000 years. And in just this past month in Africa, we are learning it may be over 100,000 years old. All of this art is alive with color. Reds, browns, and yellows call out from past eons. It's the same madness that resulted in warriors painting themselves blue with a dye made from woad. Cultures around the world painted walls, shells, and people with a rust red dye called red ochre made from dirt rich in iron oxide. It's a madness that made royalty out of a purple dye made from snails and elevated brightly colored bird feathers to the adornments of the gods. What though is the modern cost of trying to catch the true color of nature? According to a 2019 paper by Julio Polonio, textile dyes alone, quote, impair photosynthesis, inhibit plant growth, enter the food chain, provide recalcitrance and bioaccumulation, and may promote toxicity, mutagenicity, and carcinogenicity, unquote. Cadmium, chromium, copper, mercury, lead, cobalt, and titanium are just some of the metals used in modern pigments and dyes. These require extractive mining, which damages the environment and can leave large tracts of land poisoned and unusable. And when products with these dyes and pigments are discarded at the end of their life, the metals can leach into waterways and drinking supplies. Fortunately, this is not a binary have or have not issue. Simply go for a walk in a park. Spend some time watching birds out of your window. Go to that abandoned lot down the street and sift through the overgrown grasses. What will you find? Color. Vibrant, beautiful color. No cadmium involved, no carcinogens, no strip mines. Just caterpillars consuming leaves and turning it into stunning blue morpho butterflies. Peacocks eating insects to make radiant plumage. Or a fully biodegradable, iridescent jewel beetle clamoring across a leaf. Hello, and welcome to the Intangible Insights Podcast, a podcast that focuses on the insights from the natural world that we interact with all the time, but rarely notice. Each episode will tell the story of how pioneers are taking a fresh, sometimes first, look at nature, the insight database in plain sight. In this episode, we will continue our conversation with Dr. Lucas Schertel, senior researcher with the Vignolini Group in the Department of Chemistry at the University of Cambridge. In part one, Dr. Schertel shared with us that nature is creating color by cleverly manipulating light. Insects, birds, and even bacteria create biological structures with biological materials that reflect light so that it constructively interferes and amplifies certain colors or destructively interferes and cancels out certain colors. In part two, Dr. Schertel will introduce us to the enormous potential this has for innovation and sustainability. We discuss how lessons from nature about light transport apply to paints, coatings, inks, and even sensors. Dr. Schertel also describes how nature 
can not only be our teacher and mentor, but also provide the raw materials in a sustainable manner. An interesting built-in feature of nature is that all biological creations are inherently biocompatible. Consider, for example, venoms and poisons made by plants, spiders, and snakes. While they are fatal to a relatively small set of species, they break down quickly and lack persistence. This is partly a result of needing to use readily available materials. Rare and hard to obtain ingredients, such as most of the heavy metals used in dyes and pigments, are either used sparingly or not at all. Rather, one strategy nature has evolved to create color is through using proteins and structures. These natural systems, they have a limited amount of resources they can access, and they still make to create this huge variety of effects. And so they end, and this then brings us to the sustainability, basically they only use biosource and biocompatible structures. Biological systems take common elements such as carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen and create a massive array of products. Case in point, cellulose. We understood that cellulose can be used to make really bright and a huge variety of structures from the whiteness to some really glittery appearances to some more um, matte appearances. This is more than just conjecture. Dr. Schertel explains how tunable structures can be made to achieve a range of colors. One approach that we basically make micron scale particles that have internally some kind of structure. So basically that internally this wavelength selection, this color selection takes place, but the, the particle itself displays some color and then it can be used in one-to-one -one replacement approach as a pigment. This is just one approach though. Another lesson learned from nature, including outside of photonics, is that nature leverages self-assembly. Protein complexes, for example, are built as subunits, which then self-assemble to form the final complete protein. The same can be done with structural color. You can design your assembly in a way that uh, you basically create the chemical conditions uh, created in a way, and you know very well how your material behaves, for example, when it dries out and so on, that then the structure forms through some self-assembly during this drying process. The obvious question then is, to catch that true and complete color of nature, can we transition completely away from harmful dyes and pigments? As with so many things in science, the answer is complex. We recently also published something on is, can we actually use pure structural color to reach all kinds of colors and materials that are reached with classic pigments and dyes? And the answer is yes and no. There are limitations, but there are ways to overcome them. And so with the same ingredients that make table sugar, nature has taught us how to create a palette of beautiful non-toxic color. This has now caught the attention of industry. There is a huge interest from the industrial side that actually reach out to our group to try to understand and transfer this knowledge of how to use biostructures to really make the same kind of optical effects and therefore create in some kind of sustainable materials.
To achieve this, there must be collaboration between industry and academia and within the research community itself. Collaboration is key to our research. The interdisciplinary research that we're doing wouldn't work without collaborations. In the past, the realm of nature was strictly the expertise of the biologist. However, with the realization that so much can be learned from the innovation nature has evolved, unlocking these insights requires so many more disciplines. For example, me, I'm a physicist, but I need to work with biologists to understand actually which organisms out there to also have groups that collect these organisms that do all the, the research on what is the biological relevance of the effects that we see. But they would never be capable of doing the optical characterization and understanding and simulation works that we're doing. So seeing this big picture wouldn't be possible without collaborations. Dr. Schertel highlighted an additional, often overlooked form of collaboration, and that is material and equipment collaboration. Modern research, especially at the micro and nano level, often requires specialized and expensive equipment. When shared among researchers, this can catalyze the number of insights that are unlocked. Collaborations are really valuable at universities and institutions because you need a huge variety of characterization tools to actually understand these organisms. And so for that, you also need to have the equipment, which can be expensive. So a lot of equipment we use is shared. With increased collaboration comes the reminder that nature is not just producing color, it's manipulating light. To produce these colors, biological systems are directing and transporting light in repeatable, predictable ways. This unlocks an even wider range of innovation. There's a huge variety of examples where that can have an impact going well beyond just making structural colored pigments and applications for paint. Let's not forget that all the examples we're about to discuss are not just insights on how to manipulate light, but also insights on low cost biodegradable materials to do that manipulation. This means we can apply natural insights to both the methods and the materials. Currently, most sensors are electric or electro-optical using a similar range of metals and plastics to, for example, detect chemicals in water, blood sugar levels, heart rates, traffic congestion, etc. If we unpack what a sensor is, though, we realize it's just an if-then instruction. If the sensor detects a certain condition, then light up or change color or allow an electrical signal to pass or block that signal. Going back to this bacteria example, uh, if you could grow them on some material and from the color immediately extract information of what it is, then that would be a biosensor that, that is really kind of easy to apply. Of course, since we're talking about light transport and manipulation, we should also discuss lasers. Here too, we see insights and materials from nature being applied, namely the insights about ordered and disordered biological structures. There's a whole community on random lasers, it's called, so that you basically use disordered structures to create some low-cost lasing materials. This is something where, again, the knowledge that we gain in how this light propagates through these these audit structures could be transferred into technology applications. Finally, 
natural insights on light transport are also directly applicable to sustainability through the photovoltaics industry. While there are researchers looking at the very process of photosynthesis and trying to replicate it, Dr. Schertl notes that current PV technologies could benefit from learning how to increase efficiency by capturing more of the light that hits a PV cell and routing it more efficiently through that cell. Another very interesting application that has a huge potential to be impacted is photovoltaics. I was talking about how to optimize the light absorption, like how structures can be used to distribute light in a very efficient way that we can optimize and therefore light absorption, therefore enhance the efficiency of such photovoltaic devices. And how do you avoid that a lot of that light is just reflected back without penetrating into the device where it can get absorbed. There's another topic where bio-inspired structures can be an inspiration. Together over the last two episodes with Dr. Schertl as our guide, we have learned what structural color is, how nature can transport and manipulate light, how these insights are driving innovation, and how this innovation is leading to increasing options for sustainability in paints, coatings, computing, electronics, solar cells, and more. What might the future hold if we fully embrace the insights in plain sight? In terms of the diversity of where this bio-inspired approach really has an impact, there's much more going on in terms of uh, bio-inspiration in robotics or, or like just other technological areas and seeing also this going out into industrial applications is something that uh, hopefully in 10 years has a huge impact. This bio-inspired biomimetic approach might even become so pervasive that we won't recognize that many of the products and services we will be using in the future are bio-based. The biggest part of the sustainability we won't even recognize. If really a lot of the materials that surround us in our daily life would be more sustainable without even knowing. And <laughs> this is, uh, I mean, for sure better if we know, but I'm still happy if, if it happens that way. A further trend is how innovation in one area accelerates innovation in others. We would never have been able to understand how all of these organisms were manipulating light if not for research in physics, photonics, and microscopy. Already today, artificial intelligence built on artificial neural networks, which are themselves bio-inspired, are allowing researchers to significantly speed up the rate of discovery through data analytics and modeling. This will only increase in the future. One specific part that can play a role in there Computational also efforts and artificial intelligence and all these things, even in our research, they already play a role. That just accelerates the understanding, accelerates the, the way we can process data, the way we can characterize materials. And then this hopefully enables us to focus on, on solving more complex and bigger problems. We will close this exploration now with a note on circularity through biomimicry. A holy grail in circular design is being able to reuse or repurpose every component of a product so that nothing ends up in a landfill or an e-waste mountain. If you think of the whole circular environment, 
you also want to make sure that this production part is actually sustainable and trying to really, yeah, finding ways of how uh, not only use biomaterials, but also produce them in a bio way and then have bioproducts that can then again be reused at some stage. Through the insights we are learning from nature, we are one step closer to that goal. Imagine a photonic system, sensor array, or even mobile device that not only transmits data at the speed of light with switching and modulation built in, but made of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, not silicon, lead, gold, germanium, and plastic. Its fabrication requires no toxic glues or reagents, no strip mines to get metals. When it breaks, it can be repaired locally because carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen are everywhere. When it has achieved its useful life, it can be broken back down into those same elements and repurposed. This might seem like a sci-fi fantasy, but look around. It's happening millions of times a day right there in nature. I encourage you all to check out the Bioinspired Photonics Group at Cambridge. The link is in the show notes. Also, please check out their YouTube channel, also linked in the show notes. You can also catch Dr. Schertel on Twitter at Schertel Lucas, that's at S-C-H-E-R-T-E-L-L-U-K-A-S. And as always, for more information on structural color and other explorations of biomimicry, please visit the Intangible Insights website at intangibleinsights.net. And finally, our music comes from the American Dream soundtrack by Mont Plisser.